Hey, listener. Come in and join us. We've got coffee and a bowl of cinnamon toast crunch. I'm Digo, a digital nomad, and this is Caleb. An artist with a story to tell. So anyway, what were we talking about? It's our ninth episode, and Deagle is still in Costa Rica, and I'm still in the States. And for our opening talks, we touched a bit on COVID and quarantine. Then I told Deagle about a group that you may not have known were brothers, the Bee Gees. I definitely didn't know they were brothers. That was cool. And then I told Caleb about notorious serial killers of the 1970s. But don't worry. We recorded recorded it. it. Fuck this Mm. shit. I know. Oh, fuck it, man. We recorded it, okay? It's recorded. You're watching it, you're listening to it, because it's recorded. (laughs) Exactly. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to Ants, Humans, and Stars. Humans and Stars. Humans and Stars. Where have you been, Caleb? Where have I been? Um, I've been inside. (laughs) As with most of the world. Inside what? I... I, what? Ooh. <laughs> I've been in. Well, you know, I mean, I mean, I've been inside, inside a few things. Okay, um, but uh, no, I've been, I've been inside. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, that's with everybody. Yes. Where have you been? Also inside. Uh, I went to Costa Rica, as maybe some of you care or remember, and I've been there since. <laughs> so <laughs> I've now got six months of Costa Rica under my belt. Don't get jealous because, hey, I've also been in quarantine. Yeah. That kind of like ruins it. It's, it's like, oh, you were there. But it's like, but. Girl, I don't even have a tan. I have mm. six months in That's a Central a American tropical country, and I am whiter than I was. <laughs> It's like you come back. It's like, wait, you look the same. Did you actually go to Costa Rica? <laughs> All lies. <laughs> All lies. Exactly. Actually, I was just like down the street. Mm-hmm. Um, but yo, yeah, no, it's been a crazy last what four or five months since April. Mm-hmm. Um, and felt a wash of emotion. But also, I just have to say, I have not mind sitting at home. As I think I've told you before, mm-hmm. like I'm an introvert. So this was like, as I'm sure some of you guys listening have seen the memes where it's like, oh, I've been preparing for this all my life. That's literally how mm-hmm. I felt. Like mm-hmm. it was like, oh, everything's shut down. Everybody else is going crazy. And I'm just like, mm, this feels good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, it was nice not to like nobody can ask you to go anywhere. And then like or, or actually, no, let me say, let me say uh, this pandemic gives you the ultimate um excuse for not hanging out it's a blanket excuse now yeah yeah so now people are like you know every now you know people are coming out now and they're going to places and stuff and yeah it's the best excuse now like now i'm good i'm gonna stay home really have to commit like uh, depending on where you are not in the united states Mm -hmm. of course because they don't have any sort of restrictions but here like you know there are vehicular restrictions you can't drive after a certain time if you don't meet Mm -hmm. certain requirements so it's kind of like it's not even it's if it's 2 p.m. and you want to hang out it's too late you know restriction starts at five or seven or like i can't even so it's like yeah you do get a huge benefit with the coronavirus if you're an introvert and um and yeah i've been pretty okay with that but just like not being able to go to the beach and the you know the mountain well i know you're going crazy because you like where are you dancing you haven't been able to go to the club and dance 
Yeah. It's a huge like, part of my life that I haven't done for months. <laughs> I'm almost afraid of like, am I learning, losing how to learn? Uh, losing it? <laughs> losing how to learn. Am I losing the ability to dance? dance no yeah. the other day it's i put okay. on like song. riding a bike you oh, yeah i put it on a song and i started dancing in the living room and i'm like yeah you know don't worry i got it <laughs> still got it <laughs> well the point is we survived mm-hmm. um and we're and if you're wondering like what the fuck were you guys why couldn't you record i mean personally even though it was you know it was okay to be in quarantine our the artistic flow was affected. You know, mm-hmm. I, I'm writing a book and that was affected. This is art. I consider this art, mm-hmm. this podcast, you know, it's a little comedy. Yeah, oh yeah. It's a little everything. And and it requires a yeah. little, you know. It's creativity, definitely. Yeah. And all of definitely. that, that was affected. Um, and I will say yeah. mine like switched mm. from like I did because I wasn't doing any shows anymore. And then. Um, a guy I knew in like the music community here started doing these online shows that he would put together like mm-hmm. each weekend. And anyways, long story short, like I I did them kind of every other weekend for about like two months, or yeah, a month and a half. And um, but I don't know why it was like the hardest thing. It was just like uh, like I just wasn't feeling. It. But I actually I finished my book, and so the creativity for music was kind of like not. I was just mm-hmm. like, I'm not feeling it. But for the book, it was like, oh, good. I have all this time. I'm just sitting. I can't go anywhere. And so it it was interesting that it like switched to that and blossomed. So you're almost done. And so am I with book two, yeah. because even though there was a little bit, I recently have picked it, picked it up. It It wasn't. So it was a little mix of COVID and writer's block, the infamous writer's block. But it wasn't like. Oh, I, mm-hmm. I just, I just didn't know which way to take it, you know? And then I was like, ah, you know, and with COVID, I was just like stuck. And then one day it yeah. unstucked. And then it was like furiously was writing, like just like kind of, yeah. I chose a path. It felt good. I knew what I was doing. And then it's just literally, I can't, I need to write it out. One day I literally yeah, yeah. had like my hand hurt. Like it got it. It was like you know, I was getting it all out. Oh, wow! Um, yeah. And now I'm very close. But see, I love that. That stuff that like it sounds crazy, but it's so true. Where yeah, you just have days where it's like I'm nothing's coming, and then one day you just wake up and it clicks. Everything is just like oh yeah, that's that, and we're gonna do that, and that, and that, and yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> cool. Well, we're back. <laughs> we're back. Uh, about the same. I was going to say, back and better than ever. <laughs> uh, we're about the same. Right. Actually, well, um, physically, I feel a little healthier. Um, mm-hmm. I did a whole whole 30 thing. I was you did your about. cleanse. Yeah, I did this whole, yeah. Um, and, you know, me personally, like, if I'm not doing as physical stuff, I just don't get as hungry. I don't, even being, you know, totally blazed or whatever, I'm just not getting mm-hmm. the munchies as I did before. Like, it's just... Yeah, and so that's just... I definitely still got the munchies whether or not I was blazed. <laughs> I was like... <laughs> I'm going to just be real honest. <laughs> well, okay, so you did the cleanse. I don't know. I lost uh-huh. my munchies. That's why exactly, That's why I had to do the cleanse okay. because I get the munchies whether or not. Like, so I was like, I got to do something about this. 
Um, um, and so here we are. And, you know, I, a few, like a month ago now, I was like, you know, let's, let's dive into this and, and, and pick up on some coronaviruses and let's see if we can talk about that. And then like the other day, I was like, no, no, yeah, I'm listening to my yeah. podcast. And the last thing I want to hear about the COVID. So today we got music history and true crime. True crime. We're giving you the stuff you didn't know you wanted and needed, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> you definitely want this, this stuff. This podcast is all about. Because yeah, as yeah. Uh, I didn't mention the other day, you know, obviously this is our own personal podcast, so we, we have this information in our heads. And then it's great conversation. You'll just bring it up. You're like, did you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. No, like I literally, I learn from our podcast, whether it's my story or your story. And mm -hmm. yeah, you'd be surprised how that just comes up in conversation. Mm -hmm. So I want to learn. Um, and this is for this bit. This bit is for uh, the eventual Patreon uh, supporters that we are now going to record our video. See and that will be available yes. if you decide to give us any sort of money. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we need dollar dollar bills. Uh, you know, honestly, uh, <laughs> we're not begging for money. It's just, uh, I think it's just what podcasters do, to be honest. I'm just being completely honest. I hear podcasters do this thing. They, they, they do an extra, uh, extra materials, extra stuff, or, or um, extra recordings. And then that's available under, you know, some sort of paywall such as patreon so you get a dollar to us and you get all this content so uh we're gonna try to record but a video lot of artists yeah do that even aside from podcasts i mean i know mm -hmm. a lot of music artists that they'll give you an extra song or something that nobody's heard or, mm -hmm. but not so yeah uh but for the patreon guys <laughs> and gals and neither and both and whatever you want to define yourself as you will be getting yes. unedited video links I guess I don't know. You're not going to be able. You're not going to download. It's going to be a private YouTube channel or something like that. Anywho, right? <laughs> yeah, that could work. Yeah, that could work. And then you just add people, and they can watch whatever they want. If you do want to see us, our ugly faces. Just kidding. We have beautiful, beautiful faces. I moisturize. Mm. I mean, my face has been well now, kind of messed up because I've started eating sugar again but when i wasn't it was just glorious that was like, two like, days ago so like we're getting two know, days ago you were like I, my skin is brilliant it's never been better I have like one pimp i have like a pimple that popped up and i was just like uh here we go but no it has it has it's gotten it's gotten better man you ate one cookie and it was oh, like best. yeah <laughs> actually no i it was more than one cookie it was like cinnamon rolls mm. and donuts <laughs> I hadn't had them in forever, so I was like, I, I, yeah, I miss these guys. I have a hugely tooth, and I'm like a sugar addict, by the way, for anybody who didn't know. Mm. Um, it's not good. Mainly just with pastries. I just want to say, like, I don't like, I don't eat candy. Um, right. Uh, I don't just, I don't drink sodas. Um, so th when I say I like sweets, I'm mainly talking about, again, pastries, a donut, cinnamon roll. Cake. A cake. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you want Caleb to baked goods. If you want Caleb to be on your good side, give him a cake. <laughs> exactly. Digo's mom made tres leches. Uh mm. literally the best tres leches I've ever had in my life. And um so yeah, stuff like that just really I need me. her to like I need her like She's a business. <laughs> I need her. Exactly. <laughs> I need though. I do need her to make a tres leches and like quarantine give you one because mm-hmm. it's been a while. I need her to give yeah. you a cake for my birthday. Right. Was the last? No. Okay. Because I did see you before you left. I was about to say, was it last year? Was that the last time I saw you? <laughs> but no, it wasn't. That's what it feels. I like. mean, it was the beginning yeah. of this year. It, yeah. 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 But um, I looked at my passport the other day, and it was the twenty seventh of. January, where I came into Costa Rica, it is August twenty second. Mm. Oh yeah, so that was like the beginning, yeah, mm-hmm. of the year. Yeah, six months. I love your shirt. You were t- like Digo is totally flying in outer space with that Star Wars shirt that he's wearing. And do we have? It's great. Was it DMC? What, what are we looking at? Tupac. 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 Sorry, I, sorry. <laughs> he's like it was some just rapper. a head. It's a black it was rapper. just a black head, and I was like, "What did I see? Did I see Tupac?" Uh, bald, I know. Mm-hmm. Tupac. Mm-hmm. Tupac bald head. Yes. Yes. Um. um well, I want to learn all about the artist, which I'm really excited about because apparently I know this artist. It's personal to me somehow. Yeah. I don't know what it is. The only quote unquote theme of today is the '70s. So we are now going to get into story time. <laughs> All right. Okay. Okay. So let's talk about a group that I love. You can't talk about the 70s and the disco era without mentioning these guys. Are you ready? Drum roll. The Bee Gees. I knew it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, the group consisted of brothers Barry, Robin, and Maurice Gibb. Also, Vince Maloney um, and Colin Peterson were a part of the group. Like in, it's in like in the beginning. Um, Vince left the group in '68 because he wanted to play more blues style music, and Colin was actually fired. You spoke for five seconds, and I already learned something. There were brothers. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, you didn't know that. Know that. Yeah. <laughs> You're like the first well, few words. I'm like, I'm already learning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, all three of them are brothers. Um, I think it's Barry. Barry's the cute one. He's like the main singer. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. He, I mean, the other ones are kind of, I mean, mm. they are all right. But anyways, um, so yeah, Vince and Colin were out of the group. They were gone by 1972. So just a little piece of information. Um, they'd have, a, they'd had a couple of top 10 hits in the sixties. Literally, it was just like two. Um, and then by the end of 1969, they had actually disbanded. But then a year later, 1970, they were back together and ready to make new music. Um, but they went through like several years that they just, it was no hits. Um, and they put out albums and they were just flops. What um, era was until, this? Like sixties still? No, no, this is 70. So from so 70 early to 75, okay, okay. 70 to 75, mm-hmm. they were just kind of like putting out stuff, but it wasn't, mm-hmm. nothing was happening. <clears throat> Barry Gibbs is quoted as saying, you got to remember we were fairly dead in the water at that point. 1975, somewhere in that zone, the BG sound was basically tired. We needed something new. We hadn't had a record in about three years, so we felt, oh, geez, that's it. That's our lifespan, like most groups in the late 60s. We had to find something. We didn't know what was going to happen. So what happened was Saturday Night Fever. Um, it's the movie that catapulted John Travolta into the star that we know today. 
Um, it was a huge hit. It earned over $100 million against a budget of less than $5 million. Um, and the film year of, 1990, of 1977, excuse me, when it came out, um, it became the fourth fourth highest grossing film of that year behind the likes of Close Encounters of the Third Kind and the legend itself, Star Wars. So that was a big, big movie. Year. Exactly. Yeah, you're wearing the shirt. <laughs> um, but more important to our story today is the soundtrack to the movie, which at the time was the biggest selling soundtrack ever until The Bodyguard by Whitney Houston came out and just... P.S. If you haven't heard about a Whitney episode, you should because it's amazing. Yes! There you go. Um... But even now today, um, it still holds the title as the second biggest selling soundtrack of all times. Also, number three of biggest of the best selling soundtracks of all time is Purple Rain by Prince, which we also have an episode. You should go listen to that. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so anyway, uh, Robert Stigwood, um, who was a producer of the movie at the time, he was also the BG's manager and label boss. Um, he asked him to do a few songs for the film. Um, and they'd never seen the film they they got like a rough script i i read um but they didn't really know anything about it and so they were like here they they turned out five songs and they gave it and, to him, like, and one of them was and, saturday night fever no one of them they were all hits by the way one of them was the song we're going to talk about not yet okay 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 but wait was i don't know was saturday, saturday night fever is not the song i think it's it's uh, that's what i'm trying uh, to get at. i just don't know the name of the song yeah yeah, yeah. The, 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 so they so they were like, "Here's this staying movie. alive, staying That's alive. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Here's this movie, more or less. This is what the plot is, or if that, you know. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, "All right, let's just make some songs. Let's see what happens." Yeah. Also, wow. <laughs> they did these songs. Yeah. Also, they they did these songs after the movie was done. So, it, you know, these songs are playing throughout the movie. But John Travolta was saying he was like, "We were jamming to like Stevie Wonder and stuff." That sometimes we tends to happen, like that the music score yeah. is added afterwards, uh, and then mm-hmm. yeah, whatever's happening in the movie is just like they know they're gonna be dancing to disco. They just put something, or they know they're gonna yeah. be dancing to something. And something gets tailored to the movie afterwards, but and this is kind of, I guess, yeah, in a sense, how that that's how this happened. Um. So, the song that we're talking about today is How Deep Is Your Love. Do you, you remember that track? How deep is your love? Wait, am I singing the right one? How deep is your love? Yeah, 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 that's right. <laughs> there you go. Okay, you got it. You got it. Belong to you. Na 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 na. Okay. Uh, stop. Don't yes. sue us. Okay. Jesus. <laughs> I know, right? We just love your work. Okay. Um. So this this song, "How Deep Is Your Love," is a song that closes the movie, and it was originally written for Yvonne Elliman, but after hearing it, um, Stigwood insisted that they sing the song themselves again. Stigwood, Robert Stigwood. He was a producer on the movie and the Bee Gees manager. So I'm going to be using his last name, but just so you have a reference. Of- Wait, you're saying so he, they were like, let's have him sing it? No, no. So he, no, no, no. He wanted the Bee Gees to do it. Uh-huh. They originally wrote it for this woman, oh, okay, okay, okay. Yvonne Elliman to do. Okay. And, but after Robert Stigwood heard it, he was like, no, no, I want you guys, mm-hmm. you need to sing this. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but don't feel bad for Yvonne. She did end up singing a song called If I Can't Have You, which was written by the Bee Gees and included on the soundtrack. And the song was the number one hit for her mm. in the U.S. So okay. Yvonne's doing OK. Um, she's, <laughs> back to the she's dead now. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where Yvonne is, but Miss Element, we wish you the best. Um, all right. So the track was written by Barry, Robin, and Maurice. Um, Barry, along with keyboardist Blue Weaver, worked on the melody. Um, and I want to make sure to point him out because he had heavy input in the song. As is, I'm going to explain. So the co-producer of the song, Albie Gallatin, spoke specifically about his significance. Um, he says. One song where Blue had a tremendous amount of input, there's a lot of things from his personality. That's one where his contribution was quite significant, not in a songwriting sense, though when you play piano, it's almost like writing the song. Blue had a lot of influence in the piano structure of the song. Now, a demo was made at La Chateau de Ouvidla in France. Uh, with the additional recording done at Criteria Studios when they got back to Miami. Um as Weaver says, uh, Blue Weaver, we started working about 12 o'clock, maybe one o'clock in the morning. And that demo was done at about three or four o'clock in the morning. Albie played piano on the demo. I drunk too much or gone to bed or something. Then I woke up the next morning and listened to that and then put some strings on and that was it. Then we actually recorded it for real in Criteria. The chords and everything stayed the same. The only thing that changes from the demo is that when we got to Criteria, I worked out the electric piano part, which became the basis of the song. It was the sound of the piano that makes the feel of that song. Um, Albie Gallatin also says, uh, even though I did the demo because he wasn't there, speaking of Blue, um, he says there were a lot of things from his personality on How Deep Is uh, Your Love. And I just want to say, again, I'm pointing that out because... This song was a, a number one hit, huge song, but the guy Blue doesn't have a writing credit because he did piano. And so what I assume, I don't know this like for sure, but it's that he was probably just paid up front for working on the song. But then when you talk about like residuals mm. down the line, he's not getting, so like Barry and, and Robin and Maurice are getting all the residuals as well as Albie and is another guy who was a producer. Mm. Um so the producer and the songwriters are getting the the residual mm-hmm, money and mm-hmm. stuff that you're getting from this. So I just want to point that out that, like he says, piano isn't lyrics, but that has a big deal with if you're framing the music for the song. Personally, I feel, I mean, yeah. I know, you know, whatever, however people feel, but I mean, that a song is many pieces. And if you're missing one of them, if it's the singer, if it's the drums, if it's the guitar, if it's whatever, it's not going to be the same yeah. song. And I think it's just as equally, you should equally share unless you're the owner of that song and then everybody else gets at least something afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I don't know for sure if maybe he's getting something. I would assume he's not, though. Um, because and, again, I don't, and it would be terrible if he was just like, yo, yeah, that song. I did the I did the uh-huh. piano on it. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh huh. Tell it. Yeah. Tell me another. Yeah. <laughs> right. No, I right. swear. <laughs> no, I swear. Um. So when talking about the song, Barry Gibbs says a lot of the textures you hear in the song were added on later. We didn't change any lyrics, mind you. The way we recorded it was a little different than the way we wrote in terms of construction. 
a little different for the better, I think. The title, How Deep Is Your Love, we thought was perfect because of all the connotations involved in that sentence, and that was simply it. So How Deep Is Your Love was released as a single in September of 1977. Um, it was before Saturday Night Fever came out, the movie. Um, so that opened in theaters in mid-December, and then a week later, How Deep Is Your Love cleaned the number one spot on the Billboard Hot 100, ending the 10-week reign of Debbie Boone's You Light Up My Life, which was... Yeah, huge song back then. Um, so the song topped the charts in countries all over the world. Uh, when it peaked at number three on the UK charts, Barry is quoted as saying, you have no idea what a thrill it is to have a top five single in England. With all the new wave and punk rock out, um, I would have thought something like How Deep Is Your Love wouldn't have a chance. We always kept going forward and we're getting stronger with every day. So Billboard describes the song as a warm, tender ballad saying that after a slow beginning, it grows to a, quote, heightened, expressive delivery. The song won Best Pop Performance by a group at the 20th uh, Annual Grammy Awards in 1978, um, and it received a nomination for Best Original Song at the 35th Golden Globe Awards, also in 1978. But that award went to You Light Up My Life, oh, which, yeah, okay. that was, yeah, the big song. Um but that would ultimately be the first of six consecutive U.S. number one hits for the Bee Gees to come. And it was basically the start to their meteoric rise in popularity. Um, because, yeah, after How Deep Is Your Love, they had, like, Staying Alive. And then they had, onto their own albums, aside from the soundtrack, they had, like, Tragedy and mm -hmm. all these other huge ones. So this was be the beginning of, like, a rebirth for them. And really, like I said, yeah, it catapulted them to a level of popularity and stardom that they hadn't experienced yet um and just to uh also wanted to point out I, I put here to say how big that soundtrack was um they won five grammy awards for saturday night fever over two years it won album of the year and producer of the year um, and then it won two awards for best performance by duo or group with vocals. One in 1978 for How Deep Is Your Love and one in 1979 for Staying Alive. And it won best vocal arrangement for two or more voices for Staying Alive. So it was just a big deal for them for like two years. Uh, this, this uh, how do they say, this soundtrack had legs. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. Um, yeah, it yeah, wasn't yeah, yeah. just a one-off thing. And also like how back in the day... Um, uh, production of movies, you know, was a lot less. So you have yeah, saying uh, Saturday Night Fever, you know, a huge hit in the box office, and you're gonna be talking about that movie for years and years and years later in the '70s because no, there wasn't an onslaught of movies as we have today, and so I'm sure that yeah. helped. Yeah. Like you have you haven't seen Saturday Night Fever, you got to watch it, and then it's like who. Bee Gees, you know, and so on and so forth. Well, yeah, exactly. That's the thing that they they really helped each other mm -hmm. because the music is on the top of the charts, and so then the music's making you think about the movie, and or you hear the music and you're like, oh, this is so good, I want to mm -hmm. see the movie. Um, or you're going to see the movie and then you're like, oh, I love the music in it, so then you're going out to buy the music. So they really worked mm -hmm. in tandem, hand in hand, to just help each other and make it the huge success that it was. Um, so yeah, so that was huge. Song was huge. Album was huge. In 1983, the Bee Gees were sued by a Chicago songwriter, Ronald Sell, 
who claimed that Gib, the Gibb brothers stole melodic material from one of his songs um, entitled Let It End and used it in How Deep Is Your Love. At the trial, the jury returned a finding for sale. The Bee Gees attorney immediately asked for judgment notwithstanding the verdict. The basis for the motion was that Cell had failed to show, as required by the law, that the Bee Gees had prior access to his song. Even Cell himself admitted that he sent out uh, his demo tape to only a few recording companies, but none of which did business with the Bee Gees. Uh, he also admitted that there were some similarities between his song and several Bee Gees comp- compositions that predated his song by several years as well as similarities with the Beatles song from me to you written by John Lennon and Paul McCartney. So, it can't be a crime uh, to have similar ideas. Like, you know, so I'm a, that's, that's I'm what it get is. Into, yeah. 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 Um, so the judge rules in favor of the Bee Gees cell appealed the ruling, but it was upheld by the seventh circuit court of appeals, which agreed that cell had not proven his case. Um, and the case presented the issue of juries making judgments on music, and it led to a landmark ruling that striking similarities, quote unquote, between songs was not enough to prove plagiarism. Dun, 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 Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, from then on, a songwriter had to prove that the other party had heard the song before the case could go ahead. This has led to many music publishers and songwriters refusing to hear most unsolicited material. So basically what that means is a lot of record companies, whereas like before, it, I think it was, it was, um, send me a tape, you know, popular. Yeah, it was very, <laughs> well, not even the record company saying that, but it was just popular for you to like, I'm going to send mm-hmm. you guys and hopefully someone listens to it because that, that mm-hmm. has happened where somebody just picked up a CD that was in a bin mm-hmm. and was like, Oh, who's this? And you contact the person and that person, mm-hmm. you know, you get signed and the person becomes huge. Um, and so, but yeah, but now it's like, no, we're not listening to this stuff because if we put out mm-hmm. something, then yeah, we don't want to exactly. Yeah, be in court saying that like, oh well, we heard this and mm-hmm. going back and forth. So um, interesting. Yeah, that was really interesting because I think the last time we heard something like that that was really big was that Robin Thicke song. I don't know if you remember, um, Blurred Lines, mm. and then uh, it was a Marvin Gaye. I think it was Marvin Gaye. His family was like, this song sounds very much like one of his songs. Um, and I think they did ultimately kind of win, quote unquote, that. Mm-hmm. Um, because the songs did sound alike. But anyways, it's just one of those kind of situations where, yeah, you have that similar tune and whatnot. Um, if they only knew what the future was going to be like. Exactly. Snippets of exactly. songs into other songs and this songs and everywhere. Mm-hmm. Just, Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it's interesting that you point that out because um, back then it was very popular for artists to cover songs. But then, yeah, nowadays or even, you know, going back to like the 90s, it was very big to sample mm-hmm. the song. So instead of covering it and just singing the person's song, I was like, oh, well, we'll just take this clip. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, it's just interesting. Um, so Tom Brien, senior editor at Stereo Gum. Uh, when he was talking about the song in 2019, oh my gosh, blah, I sound like I have like a lisp, 2019. Um, <laughs> there's anything wrong with lisps. Exactly. You you know, there's nothing wrong, nothing wrong with that. But uh, when he was talking about the song in 2019, 
he's quoted as saying, the best thing about How Deep Is Your Love is the Bee Gees' voices. There's this concept known as blood harmony, the idea that people in the same family can take a whole different vocal tone when they sing together. They've got the same genetics and they grew up singing together. So something unearthly and mystical happens when their voices come together. The Bee Gees helium yowls are so distinct. They don't sound like anyone else, but they all sound like each other. And when they're all singing at once, something clicks. In anyone else's hands, how deep is your love would have wouldn't stand out the same way. It's a warm, satisfying prom ballad kind of thing. There's some glowing Fender Rhodes and a nice little mid-tempo quasi-disco push to the beat. Lyrically, Barry Gibb plays a guy falling in love and wanting to hear that it's a real thing, that she feels the same way he does. In the lyrics, they go, we're living in a world of fools, breaking us down when they all should should let us be. We belong to you and me. Um, He goes on... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he goes on to say, I think he sums up things nicely when he says, um, oh no, excuse me. I go on to say, <laughs> I wrote this out. <laughs> I do, do want to just bring up a point. I mean, that makes total sense. Just like, uh, you know, XYZ that makes these guitars. You know, Mm -hmm. this person makes the guitars, they use this wood, they use this, and these are the guitar, and they're all unique from this maker, right? Yeah. And so that kind of, I mean, the structure of your jaws, your lungs, your windpipe, everything is the instrument. And if you have a similar fan, makes sense. I, I didn't even think about that, but that totally makes sense. Yeah, I never even heard about that, but yeah, no, I totally... Totally agree with that. Um, so again, I think that this guy Tom Brian <laughs> sums up things nicely when he says the song and the movie were able to elevate each other in the public consciousness. Together, the soundtrack and the movie became a cultural event, um, a touchstone. So again, like we were saying, they really helped each other out. So that is your oral history of how deep is your love and also i just have to end with this because i literally saw it in every single article that i read about this song um the british boy band take that scored a uk number one hit with the cover of how deep is your love in 1996 so i have heard of take that but i didn't know about their cover until um did you listen to the song yeah i was doing this i did and the pgs is obviously (laughs) first i haven't even heard of them well, I've heard of them, but I did, but like I, heard, I found out about them. I want to say I don't know, like seven years ago. This mm-hmm. isn't; it's just recent. They've been around for a while. Um, yeah. So, um, but yeah, it's a great song. Oh, I also mm-hmm. wanted to say my connection to it is um, growing up. We had a keyboard, like an electric keyboard, and it had a bunch of different. Um, pre-recorded songs that mm-hmm. were on piano and number one was this song how deep is your love and so i heard this over and over yeah and i had no clue what it was but i actually liked it i was just like oh this is cool like i like this little tune and then growing up and it's like this is that song that i didn't know what it was but would try and play on the keyboard so yeah uh my connection um my love for dance comes from mom she is always mm-hmm. loved to dance and 
really early on, she like Saturday Night Fever, this movie that she loves because John Travolta and blah, 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 and the dancing and everything. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool, 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 cool. <laughs> uh, you know, saw the yeah. movie and I was like, <laughs> okay, cool, 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 cool. But I, I still like appreciated the dancing scenes. And if you've seen the movie or anybody else has seen the movie, like it's, you know, a, a roughly constructed drama. I was going to say, like, I read about the movie. I was like, this is depressing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it wasn't this. It's not what you think. It was just, it's not yeah, like, yeah. Uh, what's it called? Uh, oh, what's that one? Havana Nights? Dirty, dirty Dancing. Da- it's not like Dirty Dancing, dirty where it's like yeah. so uh, kind of like a musical, you know? <laughs> That's what it really feels. No, this is more like, it's not necessarily an, um, like a, f- wow like what a but the dancing scenes are memorable now especially the the infamous one um with john travolta and i don't know in that white suit yeah of course is that is that the infamous mm-hmm. one? Oh. he was really cute back then like stress the was was oh. <laughs> it's like not that he's bad looking now but i don't know like i just yeah i don't find he's gone for fate he went through right phases now. Okay, he was great yeah. back then. Did something happen in the nineties, really and then he got back mm-hmm. together. Now he looks good. Like I've I've seen John Travolta today, and he looks like a you know his head is shaved, and he just looks like a normal mm-hmm. older. I don't know. In the nineties, he was just kind of like I don't know. Who cares about getting fat? I mean, that's not why. It was just an overall look that didn't fit. Um, mm-hmm kind of began with Pulp Fiction. Like, Pulp Fiction, he was already like kind of, like, built. You know, he's always kind of... He was already a little... I still need to see that movie. But I know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well. Damn. I didn't know they were brothers. <laughs> of all of that. <laughs> that that's his takeaway. That's my takeaway. Forget everything. It's just, they were brothers? <laughs> Forget the song. <laughs> no, I forgot it now. The Bee were brothers. What was it? Fever Night? Fever Night. No. <laughs> Staying alive. I'm kidding. Oh, so they had here. They had. Um, no, I looked it up too. I was like, okay, stay, so, uh, fever uh, night, fever night, night fever. fever. I guess that's the yep. song you're thinking of. And yeah, then, yeah. Uh, let's see what else is there. Tragedy. I forgot how that goes. Uh, 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 staying alive. Oh, tragedy, tragedy. Yep, 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 yep. You should be dancing. Yeah. That one too. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And Jive talking. That was like those are their two hits. Mm-hmm. That's when the hit started. Actually, I didn't say that in there, but Jive talking and you should be dancing was like, oh, things are starting to pick up. But then the soundtrack really was like, boom. Wait, you know that song? I started a joke. I started a joke. I, I see them as listed. The whole world I see them as credited. Laughing. Yeah, that's their song. This is their song, but. I've heard it so many times. Really? Like, you know. Like by other artists? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just assumed it was a more modern song. I didn't know it was a Bee Gees. Yeah, they did that song. I I, I think, not I think, that was a song that got me into them because I heard that on the radio. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, let me just look them up. And then I was like, oh, they sing all these songs too. Too Much Heaven is also a great song. Mm. Just a good feel good. Um, Cool. They, I mean, they had that whole like '70s disco kind of R&B-ish sound. Yeah, Locked. it was just they knew exactly what it to was do good. after that. It was good, and then they had the little falsetto voices and everything. It was mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. When I asked you what you were working with, 
and I'm trying to like never know what he's going to do because I want the surprise. Um, mm-hmm. But I got so excited when you were like, I'm doing an artist from the 70s. I'm like, yes, because <laughs> that worked out. Yeah. Because uh, I really wanted to, what I wanted to do was iron out like also in my head and just, just, just to do this as a, as a topic to iron out the famous serial killers that like we all hear about. Uh, Hillside Strangler, Zodiac Killer, Ted Bundy and stuff like that. And uh, just to like, okay, what, who did what, where, when, you know, like, and I'm looking at all these and they're all from the 70s. Yeah, that's what I'm going to say. That's crazy that they're all like, that was just like serial killer time. Or maybe that says something about the kids who were like, I don't know how old they were, but like that says something about like the generation of like the 40s. Well, well that's the thing. Like 40s and 50s, you didn't even lock your doors, mm. right? 60s, oh, it's it's just living, man. Summer of love, drugs, whatever. And then people- Unless you're black and then it was a civil rights movement. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but in general, everything got feistier in the 60s. Mm, yeah. And yeah. then, but people still had this idea in the 70s, like, oh, it's cool. Like, you know, it's still like the 50s. You know, I don't have to lock my doors. I don't have to worry about a stranger in the middle of the night. I don't have to worry if I'm a, a single woman walking alone. You know, like, it, like that hadn't hit yet. And so- what had happened was that these notorious serial, killer, serial, serial killers like capitalized on this, you know, this kind of like open season on on whatever they wanted. And technology wasn't where it was. People still didn't think that there were people killing other people in mass. Like they just they couldn't think like those. That's not real. Which makes me want to like ask like. Yeah, we're just talking off our heads. I know you probably haven't thought about this, but I wonder what changed because, yeah, in the 40s, 50s, like that was the idea. I mean, even before then, nothing changed. There have always been serial killers. Well, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They have. But then, like, what I think maybe, like, yeah, maybe you already answered it that, like, in the 60s, mm -hmm. things were picking up and, yeah, just the world was changing and how we were viewing the world and how we were viewing things. So that added to, like, this, like, Take care of yourself because it's crazy out there. Many of, again, as these notorious serial killers that I mentioned, I'm going to go over seven of them. Uh, I found this great CNN article uh, called Notorious Killers of the 1970s. There you go. Uh, it's by Ryan okay. Bergeron. And, um, you know, there are actually several articles <laughs> about the 1970s and books about serial killers in the 1970s. But this particular article was uh, published on my birthday. So I just went, <laughs> I just went with this one. <laughs> like, I'm like, whoa, well, okay. Oh, was it published on that date? <laughs> this is the one. Okay. There we go. <laughs> I like it. You've had a connection. Mm-hmm. So, so, okay. So if the 60s helped spread the message of love and harmony and summer of love, basically the 70s was fear. Uh, and here are the seven most notorious crime sprees, serial killings, mass murders that shocked the America, American public in the 1970s. Um, I'm also going to include popular films and series that were based on these tragedies, these infamous assholes inflicted on men and women. <laughs> um, that was a piece that I added, and just because, like, of course... The Manson, the Zodiac, Ted Bundy, they all have 
like you know series you can go watch and movies you can go see about what they did because uh, I'm not the only one that likes true crime. <laughs> and 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 then they do a recent one on Ted because mm-hmm. didn't Zac Efron play extremely him? wicked and shockingly evil and vile. Yeah, mm-hmm. what a name! Yeah. It's like and wasn't Ted Bundy the one that killed all the the boys? No, John Wayne Gacy. Oh, that was. But I'll get into it. Really? Okay, this yeah, is yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to shut up. This is exactly, <laughs> no, no, no. That was perfect because that's happens to me. Even I'm like, wait, what did they do? And just iron mm. it out. All right. This is what okay. this did. This is where this is, you know, because it's also not everything was in California, <laughs> um, but there were a lot of killers lot in of California. Um, yeah. Anywho. So let's start with the Manson family. <laughs> Um, Charles Manson and three of his followers were found guilty of the murders of Sharon Tate, the LeBiancas, and four others on January 25th, 1971. So they started it out with a bang. <laughs> um, and again, during these times, people hearing about just that. didn't believe that people could just kill, 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 kill. Like there had to be a reason. And there was no motive. Right. Yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. it is. Like there was. What do you mean? Yeah. With no reason? No, that doesn't happen. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, the killers were given originally. They were given the death penalty, but California later abolished the death penalty, so they reduced two sentences for life. This, <laughs> I'm I'm not a proponent of death penalty, but if they had killed them, <laughs> they wouldn't have been able to run things from jail. Um, because being locked away didn't stop the threat of Mance's mayhem. Uh, his followers still believed in his helter-skelter message, and they were trying to impress him with violent acts. Uh, it's kind of like a, you know, like a mob boss is still in jail, and he's kind of lightly running from jail yeah, kind of yeah. thing. Um, the most noteworthy came on September 5th, 1975, when the Manson family member Lynette Squeaky Fromm pulled a gun on President Gerald Ford in a failed assassination attempt. As Dang. yeah, I didn't know about this. As Time Magazine wrote in the quote, "The girl who almost killed Ford." Uh, it was a chilling reminder that not even those with Secret Service protection are safe from violence in America. Quote from the article: Squeaky Fromm's mad act in a Sacramento park with a 45 in her small hand had a small had, had an immediate sobering effect on the 1976 presidential election campaign all too clearly everyone could visualize candidates being attacked uh, in similar ways the incident was also a vivid and sickening reminder of one of the most disturbing paradoxes of America could still exist uh, the fact that a, such a liberal and free society should somehow generate a sprinkling of warped souls who, for dark reasons of their own, seek to work out their own frustration by destroying, and this article says, destroying political leaders. Let's just say destroying lives. Like, and now yeah. it's just yeah. like political, anybody, like anybody, anybody. Because exactly. um, we're all, they're all, everybody's human. So it's not like, mm-hmm. yeah, anybody's life is, per- yeah, yeah. Now, uh, I'm, now, the movie I'm going to recommend uh, for the Manson family, this isn't like, all others are kind of like movies that were made to 
dramatize you know certain serial killers or whatever but this one not so much but uh, once upon a time in hollywood the quentin tarantino movie that came out in 2019 actually uh, like leonardo dicaprio yep, and stuff actually centers around the manson family mm, it, it, i think i heard that yeah. but it's his new wave of movies where like uh glorious bastards and centers around hitler and nazi whatever but he makes up history how the world around it how it like he just makes it like a a, a happy ending you know so mm-hmm. if you haven't seen inglorious bastards too bad spoiler they kill all the nazis you know that's what happens instead of uh, you know what ended gotcha. up and then once upon a time in hollywood well you see a lot of the you know you see sharon tate you see you know these people and they don't end up killing them they actually they mm-hmm. you know uh Brad Pitt and the other characters, they, they end up killing the Manson family killers, you know? So it was a, a kind of, but you see the era, you see how it was. So I, I still recommend it because it gives you a feel of what we're talking about and how it was for women and um, how easy it could be during that time. Mm-hmm. Um, the Zodiac Killer. Um, the Manson family murders, like, you know, they were in California, sent shockwaves through Hollywood because that's where the murders took I was place. Gonna say also, yeah, wasn't that, that's also why it was so big. Exactly. Because, yeah, it was like Beverly Hills and famous people. And Again, rich. No people. locked doors. We're in a rich neighborhood. Like, who's going to come yeah. and fuck us up? Well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, mm-hmm. During that same time, though, of course, we're in the 70s. Uh, there was a killer terrorizing the San Francisco Bay Area. The Zodiac Killer. Uh, and he, like, or she, or, you know, who knows, <laughs> ushered a new era of serial, killer, serial killers. The ones who were smart enough to get away with the murder, but at the same time wanted publicity. It's kind of like, mm-hmm. it wasn't just, I want to kill people and escape. No, I want to kill people. And I want people to know that I'm the one who's killing those people, but not me, 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 just that I'm this persona, you know, this Figure. dark force yeah. that I'm killing. Um, the Zodiac Killer became famous for a series of cryptograms and coded letters that he sent to the press. In the letters, the killer admitted to the murders outright, threatening for more killings, and was believed to have given hints about his true identity. Uh, Zodiac was believed to have killed at least five people during the 60s, but could also be responsible for more since he was never captured. So, you know, like there were a few definitely linked to him in the 60s, but then he was never caught and there were always murders. So it's just, you know... Mm -hmm. Could still be alive yeah. today, or you know, maybe not. Um, and you know, the police did look into several suspects, but no one has ever been identified as a Zodiac killer or charged with the link killings to him or her or neither or both. <laughs> what if it was just like a kid? No, <laughs> stop, <laughs> terrible, Chucky. Uh, Zodiac killer movie, Zodiac. 2007 Mm -hmm. david fincher film i've seen this one it's really good it's got um what's his name from donnie darko uh that's like this indie movie that was so in in 2001 wow uh donnie darko uh, uh jake gyllenhaal 
Mm. You know that guy? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't know him from that. Well, I think he is the Zodiac in the movie. Oh. Yeah. Okay. And and it's and it's uh, the the detective trying to find him is the Hulk in today's time. Oh, what's the name? Forget. Ruffalo. Yeah, Mark Ruffalo. Mark Ruffalo. Mm, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, good movie. I, I actually I like that one. Um. So. <laughs> and they don't stop because we got the infamous John Wayne Gacy. And this is the one that like, so, hey, I want to reel. A lot of these people killed women. Not John Wayne Gacy. <laughs> um, while California grappled with its cults and unsolved mysteries, a serial killer with an eye for young men plagued Chicago. Uh, John Wayne Gacy, known as the Killer Clown, would go down as one of the most notorious serial killers in history. In 1978, Gacy confessed to murdering 33 teenage boys and young men, but he could be responsible for more. He just simply doesn't know how much. Uh, uh, Many of the murders took place in his own home, where he would sexually assault and strangle the young men to death, among so many things. We don't need to get into it, but it was way more than just simple deaths. He took he did whatever he wanted and there was no, they never, he was basically sadistic. Yeah. And, and they buried, he buried the bodies in in the property. He just brought people Mm -hmm. over, did what he wanted, buried them underneath the house or yeah. Almost all of his victims were buried in a crawl space underneath the house. Uh, Gacy spent 14 years on death row and he was eventually executed on May 10th, 1994. Um, <laughs> John Wayne Gacy movie, To Catch a Killer, 1992, by Eric Trill. Eric Till, sorry. Um, mm. Now, somebody else who was extreme. Um, the infamous, the one and only, <laughs> Ted Bundy. Uh, while Gacy targeted young men, Ted went for young women, uh, the man who should have incited the most fear may have seemed the least suspicious of them all. Uh, as time wrote in quote, the case of the Chai Omega or the Chai, Chai <laughs> the Chai Omega killer. So, you know, he, rich, he's like, so he started his whole thing and he would go into like universities and abduct women. Mm-hmm crazy he was just mm-hmm. i remember one story like he abducted somebody while the other roommate was in the room like one of those like urban legends <laughs> kind of things like you know that crazy urban legend where it's uh you know you you hear something in your room in the middle of the night and then you wake up and it's blood sprawled on the on the on the wall uh mm-hmm. you aren't you glad you you stayed asleep or or something like that, you know, like, oh my God, you know, something. I think that's where that comes from because he would go in and sneak and take while other people were asleep. Um, Dang. So as Time wrote in this in this article called The Case of the Chi Omega Killer on July 16th, 1979, Bundy did not conform to the typical psychopath stereotypes. This is a quote from the article. The defendant is unlikely looking is an unlikely-looking murder suspect. It's a difficult sentence. Mm. <laughs> he doesn't look like a murder suspect. He is handsome. Mm. 
I've never found I've him heard. handsome. I've I've seen all sorts of pictures, and of course they use what's his face mm-hmm. Efron, and I'm like, yeah, whoa, Efron. you're yeah, yeah, way yeah. too handsome for Ted stretching. That's a stretch. that's a stretch. Yeah, <laughs> that's a real stretch. Hands and by stretch I mean like giraffe stretch, <laughs> like not a human stretch. They like, always say he's handsome. I'm like, I don't. Anyway, now this also this rest could be true. So handsome, articulate composed former law student who in his blue suit is almost indistinguishable indistinguishable from defense lawyers clustered around him. Nonetheless, Mm. Bundy is suspected by police of being one of the worst mass murderers in U.S. history, responsible for a trail of up to 36 young women and victims spanning for years and spanning four states. Uh, Bundy was convicted of killing two women in Chi Omega sorority in Tallahassee, Florida, and was sentenced to death. Before his execution in 1989, Bundy confessed to killing 36 women, but many believe he is responsible for deaths of a hundred or more. Mm. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, extremely wicked, shockingly evil and vile is the next Netflix movie with, uh, Zac Efron. Uh, directed by Joe Berlinger. I did not see that. I haven't seen that either. Mostly because it was that. I was like, why did they have this handsome man playing this Ted Bundy character? I'm like, <laughs> well, no, that was totally a thing. Um, I remember when it came out that people were talking about how it's like, you guys, yeah, he did these disgusting, horrendous things, and now you guys are trying to like sexualize exactly, him. Exactly, exactly. By getting somebody like Zac Efron. So it's like, oh my gosh, he did these terrible things, but he's so cute. Like, and I don't and think it was like, that's not how he got women from what I've heard all mm-hmm. this. No, he, yeah, okay. He was a reasonably normal looking man. He wasn't ugly or anything. Okay, yeah, Handsome yeah. is a stretch, but just a normal mm-hmm. dude. And he would do things mm-hmm. like, he would park his car somewhere knowing that, you know, there were victims around. He would choose a victim and he would be, uh, he'd have crutches on. And he'd like want to carry something to the car. And like he'd ask, unfortunately, an unsuspecting woman to help him. And then he would just take over and Dang. throw her in there and mm-hmm. go do whatever he wanted. Yeah. David Berkowitz, the son of Sam. <laughs> um, the killing spree of Son of Sam was in New York. And it was publicized around the world. Uh, beginning in the summer of 1976, six people were killed and seven others were wounded by a 44 caliber gun. The murder weapon was the main link police had for the crimes until April 1977, when Berkowitz left his first letter near the scene of a crime. The letter is the first time Berkowitz uses the name Son of Sam. Berkowitz wrote more letters as Son of Sam, taunting the police and f- about future murders that followed that summer. His victims were usually young women with long, dark hair, reports which caused many York- New Yorkers to panic. And according to the Time article, quote, Son of Sam is not sleeping. And here's a quote from that article. Terrified parents in the area are now insisting that their daughters wear their long hair up, bleach it, or have dates at home. Some girls have decided not to date until a killer is caught or till COVID is over. And others <laughs> are adopting unusual evening wear, loose sweaters, large caps to disguise themselves as males. 
I'm scared," said one of the queens, uh, one of the girls from Queens. I used I used to kiss my boyfriend in front of the house. Now I just run inside. Berkowitz was arrested on August 10th, 1977, and was sentenced to six life sentences, which he is still currently serving. Um, mm. Summer of Sam is a movie that was made in 1999 by Spike Lee. So this is probably worth a watch. I have not seen this either, but hey, I will watch a Spike Lee. I just watched... Uh, yeah, yeah, The last yeah. one I watched was for one of the episodes... Um, Black Klansman. The Black Klansman. Exactly. Um, I still need to watch that. I was so upset because they had it on, I think, HBO Go or something, and then they literally took it off. It was the day that I went to look it up. Like, that was the last day it was on there, mm. but I didn't have time to watch it. So, anyways, but I'll find it. Okay. Uh, the Hillside Strangler. Um, the Hillside mm. Strangler. Um was around in the late 70s. Not long after the capture of the son of Sam, fear began to spread around everywhere. They were like, okay, this is now, what the fuck? (laughs) Um, So from October 1977 to 78, bodies of 10 women were found in a hilly area above the city, hence Hillside Strangler. Uh, With no leads, the media began attributing the victims to this Hillside Strangler. It was only after Kenneth... Bianchi was arrested in the killings of two women in Washington state that he confessed to being the Hillside Strangler. Um, Angelo, Angelo Buono was his partner in crime. It was his cousin. So Bianchi and Buono were both sentenced to life in prison without parole. Buono died from a heart attack in 2002. Bianchi still remains in prison. Um... The Hillside Strangler, simply put, a 2004 film by Chuck Perello. Um, and again, you know, um, while I was looking up for movies and series that you may want to watch if you want to see a dramatized version of these, you know, I try to look for the one that seemed the, the most popular, most well-received, the highest rated, um, because there's obviously for Ted Bundy, who, you know, a lot of movies. Yeah. Uh, Zodiac Killer. Yeah. Whew, there's lots of movies. Um, so um, these are just one of many. You know, there's also good documentaries. Um, that, that's what I'd, be, I'd like more than that. That cover these, probably. you know. Yeah. Uh, but like what I also wanted to bring out is like, so these serial killers, there are new boogeymen. You know, they are... So back then they were like ghosts and shit. No, like no. Now mm-hmm. we have serial killers. Uh, we don't need Jason to to yeah. exist. Like no, yeah. they exist already. And mm-hmm. in that moment, when you're hopefully no one ever gets to experience, it, but in that moment when you're being killed by this whoever, that person is Jason, Freddy, yeah, oh, Chucky, yeah. oh, everything. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So exactly, you don't need to go out to supernatural to kind of get these um, kind of iconic. There's another word. Forget. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, but, but popular, well-known mm-hmm. uh, killers and stuff. Mm-hmm. I was, I just looked at, I just looked up um, the original Freddy Krueger movie. And I think it came out in 84. Mm-hmm. Something in the eighties. Um, 
yeah and so any the i, I just looked that up just because i find yeah 84 so it's interesting that all these killers you're talking about came from the 70s and then I don't know about Jason and everybody else, but I know like Scream was the 90s and stuff. And there so was an explosion a lot of, these of those explosion, slashers yeah. in the 80s mm-hmm. because of this. Yeah. If you had exactly, tried to do exactly, that exactly. in the 60s and 70s, people would be like, what What the fuck? We can't do this. this is, yeah. don't, yeah. don't put this into people's minds. This is how people work. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, oh, no. No, that is definitely how people That's work. How t- and so, yeah, it's, you see a correlation which is interesting. And you brought up Freddie, and actually, um, I did actually watch um, A Nightmare on Elm Street recently. And mm-hmm. Freddie, the backstory is that he killed a bunch of kids. Mm-hmm. And then the neighborhood, like the parents from the neighborhood, went to where he was and burned his house down. So that's why he's all like burned. And he comes and yeah, he comes for kids. And you sleep and stuff. And yeah. But he does. That is like. Ted Bundy and John Wayne Gacy wrapped into a supernatural yeah. figure, like somebody who's going after young men and women. Cause it wasn't, it was like whoever, but it was young people. Um, mm-hmm. That like, but of course in the, in the movie, he's doing it in like the supernatural dream world. But again, the backstory is that he was doing it to real kids. Yeah. And anyway, yeah. Um, and Halloween came out in 1978 mm. And so, mm. anyways, I just find it interesting. I never thought about that, the correlation between what was going on in the world. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, yeah, now this introduces a whole, basically, genre of film mm-hmm. and art, some people might call it, um, to the public because of what's actually going on mm-hmm. in the world. So. It was it was like, you could swallow this now because it exists. Like, we've gone mm-hmm. for over a decade of... And it's and it has that that like intense anxiety fear when you the killer hasn't been caught. So we got the Zodiac; he's never been caught, or some took a while to get caught, and the yeah. uh, people were like, as I mentioned, dyeing their hair, or changing their outfits, it, things that are mimicked in these movies, like. Um, you know, staying home or trying to stay awake or trying to do stuff to protect yourself from the serial killers. Um, mm-hmm. So I only got one more. And, you know, you could argue this one, but it is a lot of people that died. Way more than all of these people combined. Jim Jones. Mm, okay, yes. Mm-hmm. I know about him. Jim Jones was the founder of the People's Temple Religious Movement and the ringleader of the biggest mass murder suicide in history. On November 18th, 1978, Jones led more than 900 people to their deaths as they drank cyanide-laced Kool-Aid in Guyana. Uh, Guyana is in South America, not in Africa, which a lot, like, <laughs> it, it's, it, they just hear Ghana. They're like, oh, that sounds, that sounds African. Yep. Uh, it's, uh, uh, east of Venezuela, north of, uh, Brazil. It's like these tucked away little countries that sit right on the, mm. you know, on the, on the, on the uh, eastern side of South America, up by the, um, the Gulf of Mexico. They're like these little, you know, and one of them is Guyana and that's where they went. You know, they, he went down there, bought some land, set up the thing, 
As Time Magazine noted in their article, quote, the lure of doomsday, the event would become a dark bookmark for the decade. Quote, the Jonestown story, like some Joseph Conrad drama of fanaticism and moral emptiness, has gone directly into popular myth. It will be remembered as an emblematic identifying moment of the decade, a demented American psychopomp in a tropical cult house, dolling out cyanide with Kool-Aid. Jonestown is the ultimate, is the paramount of 70s cult movement. Just as Altamont... Wait, sorry. I'm going to cut that out. Jones, because okay. I mean, like, who's Altamount? I don't know who this person is. It, the, the sentence is, Jonestown is the Altamount of the 70s cult, cult movie. You know what? I'm going to keep it in. Somebody out there, find out what the hell Altamount... I can just search it right now, but I don't feel like it. Just as Altamount began the destruction <laughs> of the sweet, vacuous aspirations of Woodstock... Oh, there it is. Jonestown mm. has decisively... Oh, he was... Oh, he was the leader of Woodstock. Okay. Jonestown was decisively contaminated... Decisively contaminated the various vagabond zealotrites that have grown up, nourished, and sometimes turned sinister. So I get it. It's like there was the 60s, love, and the 70s was filled with dark Vietnam, lost souls, perfect for taking, you know, either to kill or, looking for something. or to brainwash yeah. Yeah. or to yeah. use. Mm-hmm. Um but 900 people, yo. Yeah, you've seen those photos, yeah. those aerial shots. Yeah. It's just when they're all, yeah. Bodies everywhere. Um, and listen to a podcast the other day. Uh, cyanide, not that much. You don't need that much. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit. And, it'll, like, and uh, it basically removes the oxygen in your body. Uh, so you suffocate so you're like choking to, to death. death, but I mean it's not like, but mm. you're you're just everything is suffocating. I mean your heart and your brain obviously are the ones that need it the most, and one or two minutes, that's it. I do remember listening to something on the BBC, and they were talking about um, Jim Jones and um, saying how yeah that whole looming doomsday thing was a part of the how do you say. Um, uh, appeal that's not the word i want to use but like to reel people in of like the world's about to end anyways so come be a part of this you know that we're doing they had no um, idea they had no idea we're gonna get worse than that like if you thought the world was gonna end in the 70s girl yeah yeah girl yeah, exactly. <gasps> Jesus. didn't know what was coming <laughs> Um, um, and then also I think of, I'm sorry, this is just side piece. I just think of like the kind of people, like you're literally just preying on weak-minded people mm-hmm. to be able to convince some, you know, people to leave their homes, leave their country, go to another country and like, oh, we're going to drink this specific, like, cause this wasn't like a, like, oh, we're having a party and some people are sipping the punch. It's like, no, everybody needs to drink this. And yeah, like that, that's just, it, uh, oh yeah. I think, I think the point I'm trying to make is like, it's just as sinister as these 
killers who are directly like stabbing or raping and mm-hmm. um you know murdering these people you know it, it, all i'm saying is that like to the brain or to this this or whatever it, it seems like oh well it's he just killed them through drinking mm-hmm. and then he killed himself but it's like no it's just as sinister because this is all like thought out and methodical and again it's just preying on people that are weaker than you though maybe not physically but you know in in that case uh through them in the mind weaker in the mind um and uh, anyway i don't yeah. know if it was jim jones or it was another guy but i'm pretty sure this must have happened too that there weren't 900 people right you gotta you mm-hmm. gotta think at least one or two people were like uh never mind and yeah. those uh never minds th- those were murdered course, they weren't yeah so yeah. Th- so there were i forget um, this probably wasn't jim jones but i'm pretty sure that some people like you know second guess this whole thing wanted, wanted out yeah. and they were like oh yeah sure leave no, there were I and then that. Yeah. were either burned or shot or you know whatever mm-hmm. it was yeah the, those people, there were were people killed. who didn't want i remember there i remember on the 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 thing i was listening to they were saying how on that, that plane that took them to um wherever they were in south america there are people who were like had second thoughts like actually you know i don't want to get on this plane and, and 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 there were a couple people who like they were able to leave and luckily they're alive to be able to say yeah this is what happened luckily mm-hmm. i didn't go down there but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah um yeah, just just um, but a lot of them, like you said, were killed and and just like, well, you're gonna be forced to go along. Um, oh, I also also mentioned recommendation of a 1980s miniseries called Guiana Tragedy: The Story of Jim Jones by Willem A. Graham, and um, that is me ironing out the sickos of the 70s. <laughs> There you go. Sickos of the 70s. The sickos. Um, Jesus. And has it stopped? It no. Yeah. Mm-mm. Because like you said, you know, that was a time when people were like leaving their doors open. But now we know like, oh, we don't do that. Like you need to lock your Girl, door. I go throughout the trash and I like, lock the door. You know, like I yeah, don't. Exactly. There's nothing I won't lock the door for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Especially being a true crime lover. Like, you know that this is it. This is it. It's me and the locked doors. There's in a moment that the killer is going to come into. It's you, the locked doors, and whatever weapons you got in your house. The police is not going to get there in time. Exactly, that's the truth. Exactly. So um, better live, kind of like that. Where, and I'm not just saying like be fearful of everything, but like lock your doors, have some sort of escape plan. Get like, what's the weapon in your house that you're going to use? Do you want to look at? Do you want to look for a weapon when the killer is already in your house, or do you want to know that? Mm-hmm. I'm not. This I'm not saying I'm get a around. gun. I'm just saying like, this is my weapon. Like this will always be there, no, and I will my- always. <laughs> <laughs> no, my mom has always said like, she's always told us like you know yeah if you're in a situation that's if that's a surprise like don't try and go beat up the like yes fight. But she would always say, don't fight with your hands. Like, grab something because that's going to be a weapon as opposed to, like, hurting yourself, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to beat them or stop them or, you know, defend yourself or whatever. And so, yeah, like, 
also know disclaimer what you're have to grab <laughs> if you can run that is ultimately exactly. the best like <laughs> exactly if you can run just run consider yeah. them yeah. jason you know Very consider true. them freddy krueger you don't fight those people you run from those people mm-hmm. yeah yeah no you're so right um so so right awesome <laughs> <laughs> whoop, whoop. first uh First episode back, mm-hmm. we made it through. Um, so, for for our, our, our salutations, um, right? I didn't write those or even think about them. Um, I, I need like an know, example now because, like, how do you write these? What do we say? <laughs> oh, <laughs> no! It's 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 yeah. It's what is it? L- something especially yourself. Thank you guys for listening, and as always. Fight for what you love. And find out how deep is your love. And lock your doors. Close and blinds. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> Not everybody is out there for love. Just hide. Hide your kids. Hide your wife. Hide your husband. <laughs> Just all of it. <gasps> Christ. That is still the moral of the story. Yes. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, you all are in the meantime, you all are already in your homes, so it yes. should be easy. Just lock it. Lock, lock it. Yeah. Fight mm-hmm. for what you love, especially for yourself, guys. Mm-hmm. And self-love means locking your doors, okay? God Making damn. sure you're safe. Exactly. Yes. Yeah.